to GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. Today, we will be talking with Dr. Kristen. Um, Dr. Kristen Donnelly, she is a TEDx speaker, international empathy educator, and researcher in with two decades of experience in helping people understand the beauty in difference, the power in inclusivity. She is one of the good doctors of Abbey Research, COO of their parent company and an unapologetic nerd for stories of change. Kristen lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband where they are surrounded by piles of books and several video game consoles. And so Kristen is going to tell us about why tolerance is garbage. Say it with me, tolerance is garbage. And we're just gonna rock and roll for the next 30 minutes or so. So make sure you buckle up your seatbelt, get you a nice cup of coffee and get ready to cruise to higher altitudes with Dr. Kristen. My gosh, what an incredible intro, Genesis. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So Dr. Kristen, you know, reading a bio, anyone could do that, but I really want you to tell us something that was not in the bio. Oh, gracious. Um, well, part of the bio is like shoving everything in there. That's really important. I will say my number one hobby is writing fan fiction. Writing fan fiction. What led you uh, to that being your hobby? Oh gosh. Um, well, honestly, it was when I was in high school and I was watching Dawson's Creek and Joey was getting together with Dawson and I found that incredibly wrong <laughs> and I had to fix it. So I started writing my own version of canon and I've been doing that for 20 years. That is amazing. Do you have any fan fiction books out on the market? No, because you can't make money on fan fiction because it's somebody else's intellectual property, which is one of the things I really love about it. They're called transformative works. You take something that somebody else has created and you transform it. And as long as you don't make any money off of it, generally that's kind that's allowed. Um, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of us out there that create transformative works, whether it's art or fan fiction or other things like that. There's a whole, there's a whole world out there. Um, and so, no, I don't have, I like that I can't make money off of it because it's really easy for people to tell you to monetize your hobbies. And the, and, and for me, like that's a place of entire creative freedom. There's no market pressure on it. There's no way that I can make money off of it. So I can just lean in and have fun and think and dream and imagine and create and do all of the things that feed my soul without having to worry if somebody will ever pay me for it because they legally cannot. Oh, I love that. And I just learned something new because I had no idea that um, people write fan fiction and that you could just pretty much take someone else's creative work and remix it for lack of better words. Pretty much. There's a website called Archive of Our Own. It is the largest fan work hosting site out there. It's It's been going around for a little while. It got a huge growth during the pandemic, as you can imagine. So um, it, there, yes, there's a lot. And essentially, if you don't make money off of it, a lot of us do it under pseudonyms. The point is the fun. The point is the creation. The point is not commercialism. Mm, I love that because sometimes whenever you begin to take something that you're really good at and you turn it into 
like a money-making pit, then it no longer becomes fun is what I heard others say because it becomes like a job to them. So Mm -hmm. like their passion is like shrinking because they're out there trying to do the hustle and grind to like bring in that revenue and they lose sight of why they started with what they were passionate about and the fun is no longer tied to it. But I think it's different. I I like to say different floats for different folks. Oh, for sure. And um, Dr. Kristen, um, I know you worked so hard to get your doctorate. So what do you have your doctorate in? It's in sociology. uh, And I earned it from the Queen's University of Belfast in Northern Ireland. And my focus was on the accidental silencing of women in religious organizations. So a lot of the organizations that think that they have equality and that are are really or think they have equity even and think that everything's great but there's a real difference between permission and promotion and very often in um in christian religious spaces and protestant religious spaces in particular there's a lot of permission of voices that are not cishet white men but there is not a lot of promotion of those voices and i've been studying something like that for uh, probably about 15 years women's voices in religious movements for a very long time um and so but the culmination of my phd was kind of that looking at that what does it look like the difference between permission and promotion for uh women's voices within christianity Ooh, I like that. And that sounds like a niche area because not, I haven't met someone else that's doing what you're doing. And I think- Well, I do it on a secret. To do a PhD, it has to be really freaking niche. (laughs) So the point of a PhD, and that's why most of us that have PhDs don't actually like make a living on the topic that we looked at, because it has to be so, so narrow because you have to be the only one that's ever done it. Mm. And- so it's, and you become the expert on that narrow definition you spend, you know, in the, in Europe and in the UK, it was about four years in the US, it can be up to 10 years looking at this one question. And then you go in to defend your doctorate. And is you proving that you are the expert in this one area that you've put in that work and you walk, you essentially, you wrote a book, you hand them the book, you say, does this pass muster. They say, yes, very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Kristen Donnelly. And then you go, okay, I'm never thinking about that again, (laughs) which is what a lot of us do. It, for me, it jives into my work because I am an empathy educator and I spend a lot of time helping people understand how, how they kind of move through the world. A lot of us do it really unconsciously, right? Like we just kind of, we are, we don't give a lot of thought to who we are. We don't necessarily give a lot of thought to our actions or where they came from. And I try to be the person that's like, you're doing that because you were raised in this culture or that is a direct result of this belief that you have. If you don't like this behavior, you've got to change this belief. And so that's, and a lot of my PhD was that at its foundations. But in terms of the actual subject, I haven't written about that in six years. Um, Cause it doesn't, it's just too niche. Cause you're totally right. Um, but I've, I've used the larger theoretical framework that I used the, a lot of the books that I've read. Um, and I teach about Northern Ireland itself all the time, but the specific research I did was just for that time. It earned me a doctorate. Thank you so much, but I don't, I've never touched it again. 
Oh, wow. Because I was going to um, hit on another question before we dive into why tolerance is garbage. And I was going to ask you, what made you, you know, focus on that niche area? Was it something that you experienced where your voice may have been silent um, in a religious group and you just felt like, I'm, I'm there, they see me, but I'm not being heard. That led you to going into your doctorate field of study. Absolutely. So I grew up in, um, in largely white, largely evangelical American Protestantism of the 90s and aughts. And there was a lot of spaces that I was in that I thought for sure I had total equal voice and it was great. And then I would find out that because I was missing male genitalia, I was not actually welcome to share the gospel. I have degrees in seminary, in youth work. I'm, you know, been given preaching classes, all these kind of things. And there were lots and lots of times that I would volunteer to, to speak. And I'd be told like, actually, no, you can't speak to men. So have you thought about, you know, working in the kitchen? And I'm like, I, I have not because I don't want to work. I don't work in my own kitchen. Why am I working in another kitchen? What I'm called to is speaking and teaching and preaching. And uh, then I went to a seminary that was with a whole lot of, uh, that was Baptist affiliated. And a lot of women who were raised Southern Baptist who the very first time they ever saw a woman behind the pulpit was in their twenties or thirties, some of them. And I was just like, okay, well, I look at the story the entire narrative of the arc of what, of what, you know, I believe God is. And that sounds like absolute garbage to me. So let's figure out where else this is happening. And uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about the exclusion of marginalized voices in, in organized religion. And most of the time it's entirely accidental. There's absolutely the bigots. Oh my gosh, we can rant about Westboro Baptist Church until the cows come home. But to me, the more insidious stuff is the quiet things where someone's like, but th this is what God says. And I come along and go, actually, we don't actually know. And so like, let's think a little bit bigger. Let's, let's, let's dream. Let's imagine what this can all look like. Um, Cause we're excluding a lot of people that don't need to be excluded. If we would just empathetically engage with other humans, we would understand the world from a fuller and richer perspective. So yeah, I was, I was very lucky that um, as you can imagine, I'm fairly outspoken and have been forever. And so there was a lot of times that people told me I couldn't do something. And my response was to outlearn them. So they'd be like, well, the Bible says, and I'd be like, well, actually it doesn't look, I've studied the original Greek and this is what the original Greek actually means. Um, and that wasn't helpful. It didn't get me what I wanted. It just got me, you know, I was called a know-it-all or, or rude or anything else. So I was like, okay, well, what we have to do instead is dismantle the systems. So how do we dismantle the systems? We learn the systems. So let me identify the systems so that we can get rid of them. And that was the tactic that I took. I like that because it also moves into you not only being passionate about a certain area, but you going the extra mile to just learn about that area and to educate people who may have ignorance on that subject and you didn't stop when somebody told you it was something that you couldn't do you took that no and you saw it as how i remix it as new opportunity or next opening because sometimes people will stop when somebody says no you can't do this or this is not your place or they try to place all these limitations on you and around you or they try to keep you in a box when in actuality you know who you are and you know what you are meant to do and once you 
are, you know, steadfast in knowing who you are. You know what your ground is. You know that you're accepted and you know that the sky is the limit or heck, not even the sky because people are going to the moon. You know, the moon is the limit. Then, you know, there's nothing or anyone that can stop you from being you. So as we segue into tolerance is garbage, why do you feel that tolerance is garbage? And what else do you say about tolerance when somebody tries to tell you, oh, just be tolerant with it. It's okay. Maybe you just need to overlook that Dr. Kristen or, or just, just let sleeping dogs lie. Right. That's all. Everyone's allowed to have that worldview is what I say. But what I think, oh, the only place I think that it has gotten us, I think of the bumper stickers that were everywhere. Um, you know, that were like even coexisting, things like that. All tolerance is, is allowing somebody else to be alive because you cannot kill them. That's it. The minute that you engage with them intellectually or emotionally, you have moved past tolerance. So by saying all you have to do is tolerate that person, you have flattened them into a caricature of who they are and who you assume them to be. By, by saying you will tolerate that person, you actually rob them of their humanity and they become the thing you have to tolerate. I am not saying you have to be in relationship with toxic people, but I am saying you have to figure out if they're actually toxic or if they just have a thing you don't like. Mm, and that's a good point. I, I want to stop there for a second. So you don't necessarily have to be in relationships with people that are toxic. You just need to find out if that person is truly toxic or are they displaying tendencies that are getting under your skin. And if you don't understand, that means you're staying at the surface level with that person versus really peeling back the layers of the onion and getting to know who they are at their core. Correct. So I'll give you an example from my own life. So my husband and I have a next door neighbor who very, 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 very clearly does not like my husband. <laughs> very clearly. And he doesn't care for her either. And they are oil and water with each other. They get under each other's skin in typical American suburban drama over like gardening and water runoff and things that I'm just like, oh my gosh, okay, bless you all. They both get each other's skin all the time. My husband 100% does not tolerate my neighbor. <laughs> he can tell you exactly what is, is, you know, drives him nuts. And when we were talking to somebody at one point about it and kind of saying like the way that, the way that she kind of comes at people is very difficult for us to take and kind of all this other stuff. Somebody's like, well, you just really have to be tolerant that she might've had a really hard life. And I was like, oh my gosh, no, no. Well, we have, we don't have to tolerate any of it. What we need to understand is that she might have a really hard life. And that explains some of her reaction to us. Maybe she has a real thing against men with accents of which my husband has, I don't know. And that might be a completely valid thing, but on no level do we need to tolerate how she treats us or how she speaks to us or anything else we have to do is respect that she is a human person with dignity and and all the other things that are afforded to us by being human and then we can make appropriate decisions about how we interact with her from that point i don't have to tolerate a darn thing about her i and i shouldn't because if i just tolerated that i wouldn't know maybe and we haven't reached this point yet where we know like very happy things about her but what I do know is that she's a human 
And I do know is that she has family who loves her and a past and a history and has lived a lot of life before we intersected a couple of years ago. I will not tolerate how she treats us, but that does not mean that I don't like, that doesn't mean that I completely cut her off and it's, it's nothing and it's whatever I can say, okay, I can't respond to what she's saying right now or how she's saying it. And so I'll come back with questions. That's something that I do. And we kind of negotiate whether I want it or not. I have a relationship with my neighbor. That's a relationship. I know things about her that I'm trying to see if they're true or not. Who knows? She knows things about us, if they're true or not, but we are human people having human interactions. There are, and that is to me a really good, I can't be an emotional relationship with her. She's never demonstrated to us that I could trust her with my heart. But I am in a relationship via proximity. And I, and I, we are in some sort of relationship. So the reason that I say tolerance is just completely garbage is that what we need instead is radically inclusive hospitality. We need to say you are a human person and I am a human person and your worldview is yours and my worldview is mine. And I bet you we've got some common points of intersection and let's find those. Okay. Yes. Okay. I want to dive a little bit deeper there because uh, with inclusivity, there are so many people in this society and the world as a whole that are always looking for ways to point out the differences versus ways to point out the commonalities. And if you don't look for ways to see what the commonalities are like, oh, I like pizza, you like pizza. Oh, I like the Astros or we like this sport or whatever then we're not getting anywhere. Instead, it's like tit for tat, like you're black, I'm white, or just all these little things that really don't matter. And they're just outward, they're just surface, but we're not going deep diving with somebody. And I feel like if we never take that next step and that leap of faith to really dive deep, and look at ways that there is inclusivity, no matter if it's religion, if it's sexual orientation, if it's um, race, gender, nationality, or anything like that, then we are missing a big component, in my opinion. Because whenever I think about inclusivity, I like to say you can't have inclusivity without diversity, without equity, and without equality. They all need to intersect, in my opinion. Would you agree? Yeah, and I would even say that diversity actually already exists everywhere. And so what we really need to do is recognize that diversity goes beyond how many Black people and how many white people do we have in a room, which is usually how we shorthand it. So we have to understand that diversity, like we are having a diverse conversation, not because of our race, but because we are two people with our own um, our own histories and our own ways that kind of go about it. And I say that a room of people could look exactly the same and you still have a really, really huge amount of diversity. So we need activated diversity. We need, we need to know the diversities that we have and kind of what that looks like. So I would add that to yours, but absolutely. And my definition of equity is to take equality and add systems to it. So to understand that everybody comes with privileges and everybody comes with oppressions and kind of looking at what systems need to change 
for equity to flourish and for everybody to have equal access to resources and opportunities instead of just, you know, everybody gets equal resources. Mm -mm. We need equal access to them. And there are systems that need to get fixed for that. So absolutely, without those things, we can't have inclusivity. And for me, the other thing I add is hospitality. And that hospitality is an emotional posture of opening up your life and saying, this is who I am. This is the things I'm proud of. These are the things maybe I'm not so proud of. These are the things that make up me. What makes up you? Let's walk around inside each other's lives. And the first time we hit difference, let our reaction be curiosity and not judgment. And let's just keep doing that. And once you do that, you can't, there is no such thing as tolerance anymore. Okay, so let's let's stop here and let's do a role play exercise. And, and the reason why I want to do that is because I think that it will help um, the listeners as well as the viewers. So I'm going to be, you're going to ask me some questions and you lead me as if you were leading a client and we're going to role play it. That way we could kind of break down your theories so the listeners and viewers could understand exactly where you're coming from because the whole premise is, is to not just inspire and, mo and motivate, but to also educate people to, to let them know, here's a different vantage point. Here's a new perspective of thinking. Um, thinking of things in a different way. And then we could also show them a way that they could practice on somebody else. Would you like to do that? We could, for sure. I'll let people know that this is, before we get started, practicing with somebody else might be, you might not have a relationship where that's okay. So there's other ways to do it too. You can encounter stories of difference through documentaries and books and TED Talks and a lot of other options. So if, as you're listening to this, you're like, I don't know anybody that I could ask these questions to, I would challenge you, you probably do. But even if you're like, mm, not so much, um, there are, there are third party ways to ask these questions. So I would encourage you to keep that in mind. I like that. That's a good disclaimer because there's a lot of assessments out there that they could do. And those assessments, they could have someone else do it. And then once the assessment is complete, they could talk about it. For sure. For sure. Okay. So whenever you're ready, Dr. Kristen, I'm in the hot seat. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I would love it if you would tell me a little bit about yourself. So I am first generation American. My dad was from Curacao. My dad recently passed away eight months ago. And my mom is Caribbean. She's um, from St. Vincent, the Grenadines, the West Indies. I come from a blended family. I have two brothers and two sisters. Um, my mom had two boys and my dad had two girls. And when they blended, they had me. And I tell people I'm the glue. <laughs> uh, let's see. I am very talkative like you, um, Dr. Kristen, very outspoken. Sometimes where people say, oh, you're too blunt or you're a straight shooter or that just came out rude. And I'm working on that. But, you know, I can't necessarily change who I am to appease other people who were never meant to truly validate me. I know it may be, it may sound rude, but at the end of the day, you have to know who you are and what you are placed on this earth to do. And if you keep bending and breaking at the whims of other people, you're going to completely lose your sense of individuality and identity, in my opinion. Let's see, I am married. Um, let's see, ooh, so much things. I, oh, big foodie. I love, 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 love to eat. And I, I love to eat before I even married my husband, who is a chef by trade. <laughs> 
Let's see. Love to travel. I The reason why I love to travel is because not only are my parents non-Americans, but whenever you travel the world, you get immersed with other people from different cultures and backgrounds of life. And it really opens your eyes to see things in a different way. And I love that aspect because I meet a lot of people who have only been in the U.S. and they've never been outside the country and I see that some of their views are skewed but if they would travel outside the country they would see why people do what they do. Um, do I need to go a little bit deeper Dr. Chris? You, no you get to talk however you want. Uh, let's see. Um, ooh. Oh I'm an author so I wrote my first book Chocolate Drop in Corporate America from the Pit to the Palace where I shared my experiences of working in corporate America as a black and brown person and being faced with issues with diversity, equity, and inclusion and being placed in a box. However, I saw myself more than a box because I wasn't born in a box. So I saw myself where I wanted to go and I took ownership of my career versus um, the other way around. I'll so it stop sounds there. Like to me, it sounds like to me that family is really important to you. Is that fair? Yes. And for, for you, for family, is family somebody that like you need to be blood related to them in some way? Or do you have a, like a wider relationship with the word family? Definitely a wider relationship with the word family. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes people who are blood related may not treat you as good as people who are friends who have now become your family because they treat you far better than your family members do. And I tell people, sometimes you could love your family, but you could love them from a balcony. Like you love them, but you don't need to surround yourself with them because they make you feel a certain way. I love that. Okay. So for time constraints, I'm going to point out a couple of things to the listeners. First of all, I love asking the question, tell me a little bit about yourself because the very first thing that people start listing will tell you a lot about them. So Genesis told us a lot about her family. I still have no idea what she does for a living and that's okay because what she told, what she said to me in those answers is that who she is as a human person is a lot more important than how she spends her days earning money. So I can hear that and I can connect with that. And I say, oh man, family's really important to me too. Let's keep talking about it. But then I asked a clarifying question about family because for me, family, I have a portmanteau that I use for friends and family and it's family. So I have like my blood family, I have my family, and then I've got my friends and that like middle group of people. Those are my, those are my people. Like they're the 4am phone calls and like they're it. And so if we had more time, I'd start asking you about your best friend. I'd start asking you about things like that, but other points of intersection that we could talk about. God, I love travel. Let's keep talking about travel. I'd love to know more of what it was like growing up in this blended family being the glue. I would have explored that a lot more. So as you're, as people are listening to this, first of all, know that these kind of conversations, this is why I think empathy is a posture an intellectual posture and not like just an emotional response. Because as an empathetic person, I deeply believe that everybody has things to teach me and everybody's worldview is rich and wonderful and not mine. And I have things to learn from everybody else. And so I go into this conversation with Genesis, which could have happened at a Starbucks or at a networking event or at a dinner party with mutual friends. And she generously gives me all of this and I can just start chasing it. And I can ask her a thousand questions before I even offer anything of myself. Somebody, you, if you're at a, at someone's dinner party and it's a totally social event and you say, tell me about yourself. And they start telling you about what they do for a living. That tells you a lot. 
So, and that tells you that maybe this person, one of the things that possibly could tell you is that this person doesn't really know who they are outside of work. So that's an important thing. So let's chase work. What does work mean to you? Why is that important? And you can ask these kind of things and ascertain these kind of things without asking deeply personal questions. Like Genesis, tell me about your relationship with your mother. <laughs> like that's a therapeutic question that you don't need to ask. Well, she's going to tell you about it anyway. Because when she talks about her mom, her face is going to light up or it's going to get a little bit withdrawn. And so part of this is learning how to read humans and then recognizing that when people give you their truth, when they're giving you that, when they are gifting you those things, it is literally a gift. Their pain is a gift. Their process is a gift. Their truth is a gift. And they are allowing you to see the world through their eyes for a few moments. And that is a true, that expands your life. And we just kind of like thank them for that. And the best way to thank them for that is to respect the story that you gave them, that they gave you. And that is, again, why tolerance is garbage. (laughs) I love that. And then as we begin to wind down, uh, Dr. Kristen, are there any last tips you want to say in relationship to tolerance is garbage? And I want these to be gems that people could take with them, not just today, but tomorrow and along their life journey. And every time they feel like they're getting ready to say, oh, I'm going to tolerate this person, they remember what you said about why tolerance is garbage. Man, no pressure. So one of the things that I would say that I maybe have said or and I haven't said so succinctly is to remember that every person has worth and dignity. When you start from that posture, when you start from that truth, whether you agree with them or not, whether you think they have monstrous behavior, whether you think they have beautiful behavior, every person is, has dignity and has worth as a human person. And therefore, if, if, if I met Adolf Hitler in the street, I would not be interested in tolerating him at all. I would be very, I would see the badge on his, on his arm. I would be listening to what he said about people and I would be able to make an informed decision because when people show us who they are, we should believe them as Dr. Angelou said. And so that's not tolerating him. That is saying, I do not agree with that. He is a human person and like, you know, that's fine. I think that worldview is damaging, harmful and disgusting and I'm going to speak out against it but that's not tolerance. And I think a lot of times what we have been told is to tolerate other worldviews and that's turned into tolerating other people. We can't do that. You can make decisions about what you, you could be neutral. Oh, I don't know enough about that yet, but you're not, you're not tolerating the person that holds that worldview because that person is not that worldview. Those two things are not interchangeable. The other thing that I would say is to give yourself grace as you go along this journey. 80, 90, 95% of people, honestly, we're doing the best we can. We are growing and changing individuals. There are things about yourself that you were really proud of in your 20s that you no longer agree with. And it's the same for every human person. We are growing and learning entities. So as you go along this journey of enacting curiosity and getting to know people and understanding their worldviews, give them grace and give it to yourself as well. We are all doing the best we can. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Once again, listeners, this has been a pleasure to sit and chat with Dr. Kristen Donnelly, and I'm going to let her share her information so you can know how to connect with her on social media, her website, if you need to reach out to her or et cetera. Go ahead, Dr. Kristen. 
Oh, thank you so much. So my company is called Abby Research and it's spelled with an E. So it's A-B-B-E-Y, the word research. And we're that on every social, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you want to find us on any of those, just spell Abby with an E and find us that way. You can also find me on Clubhouse and just search, uh, I think it's just search Kristen Donnelly. LinkedIn's the same way, those kind of things. Um, we'd love to see you wherever we are. We've got podcasts, we've got YouTube channels. We've got lots of ways to help you cultivate your curiosity and expand your empathy every day. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. You just heard Tolerance is Garbage with Dr. Kristen Donnelly. Until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Bye. Bye.